What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Red and Buried Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Frankie. And we have the fantastic Louise Davidson with us today. Woo! Yay! Thank you Hi, so Louise. much for having me. Hi, thank you so much. This is very exciting. Oh, the, the excitement is all ours, Louise, because mm-hmm. ever since, so Louise's book, we're going to get into it in a second, but The the Fortunes of a Love Richmond. Ever since I heard about it from our good friends at Moonflower Books, I was like, this sounds like my cup of tea and then some. This sounds like the perfect book. So I've been itching to get my hands on it, which I have, and to speak to you because, spoiler alert, I love it. Yeah, oh, thank you. Oh, that's love so it. So much for my stress. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't think you were going to get me on here. But now tell me about your choices. Yeah, yeah. what's wrong with you? <laughs> Awkward. The approval is wonderful to have. Thank you very no. much. No, honestly, like I am a very spooky person and I feel like you are too from reading this. I'm getting spooky vibes. So I knew we'd get on well from the yes. spookiness. Yeah, this and the time of year. Oh God, Louise, it's all just perfect. But oh. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> me too. Uh, I've written a little bio about you, which I've taken largely from things that I've been provided with. Um, So I'll read it out now. So for anyone listening who doesn't know who Louise is, go sitting comfortably, I shall begin and give you some education. (laughs) Louise Davidson was born in Belfast and has always worked in the creative arts in some capacity, from assistant to theatre directors, to teaching script writing classes in prisons, to teaching English and drama to A-level students. Wow, that's a lot of teaching. You're a very impressive person. Growing up in Northern Ireland, backgrounded by the Troubles, led to a fascination with history. And this, combined with her love of all things Gothic, inspired her to write her first book, The Fortunes of Olivia Richmond, a dark Victorian thriller set in an. Oh my goodness, sorry. A dark Victorian thriller set in a neglected and isolated mansion. Neglected is a hard word, I've just learned. (laughs) After a terrible tragedy, Governess Julia Purley finds herself with no job, home, or references. When she's offered a position as companion to Miss Olivia Richmond, her luck appears to be turning. But Mistcote House is full of secrets. Olivia has a sinister reputation. The locals call her the Mistcote Witch, thanks to her tarot readings, and her insistence that she can speak to the dead. Her father, Dr. Richmond, believes this just to be girlish fantasy and is looking to Julia to put a stop to it. Determined to prove herself and shake off her murky history, Julia sets to work trying to help Olivia become a proper young lady. However, as she becomes a fixture at Miss Coat, it's soon clear that there's more to Olivia's stories than Dr. Richmond would have Julia believe. Not least because somehow Olivia seems to know something of the darkness that Julia desperately hoped she had left behind. As the danger grows and the winter chill wraps around the dark woods surrounding Miss Coat, Julia will have to fight to uncover the truth, escape her past, and save herself. Outside of writing, Louise lives in London with her husband and stepson, and in her spare time is working on fulfilling her ambition to visit every museum in the city. She's also very kind, very lovely, and has an excellent home library. Oh, I will I will absolutely take that, although I know that you're cataloguing yours at the minute. And yes. I don't know if mine would stand up to the same level of scrutiny, really. Well, I yeah, for anyone <laughs> listening, I bought a barcode scanner from Amazon. Uh, it's twelve pounds, Louise. I think you can treat it. I love that you had it right there, ready to go. Like I'm like, yes, yes. This was a woman working on this today. <laughs> I was showing off to Sarah before you joined the call yeah. about my new barcode scanner because I'm I'm cataloging my book library. But you have beautiful books. I saw on Instagram you've got a good old collection. Mm, yes, that that is actually just one bookshelf of, wow. of the collection. That was my uh, so I wind up changing a couple of things around because. 
I have an obsession with books and my husband has an obsession with plants. So (laughs) there needed to be room made for the greenhouse, the indoor greenhouse. So I wound up moving a load of my books upstairs. So I've now in the office got this beautiful bookshelf that is just (gasps) my Victorian history books, my folklore books, my books on witches, my books on writing. It's quite extensive. And then everything else is in other rooms. But it is, yeah, it it would be bigger if, if my stepson wasn't there saying to me, you don't need any more books. You need to stop now. And Can then you I sent him off somewhere to like a, a school somewhere. I have started saying to him, do you need more Pokemon cards? And he says, it's different. I have to collect them all. And I'm like, so do I. Yep. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. No, I'm with you. My husband's the same. He's always like, uh, do you read all those books? And I'm like, uh, do you use all those bikes at the same time? No, mm. didn't think so. But yes. Exactly. We don't use every plate at the same time. And yet we have many. (laughs) Exactly that. Oh, wow. I'm really, I want to see all your books. Can you do this cataloging as well, please? So I can see your catalog. You know what? Very genuinely, I did look at it and I went, wait a minute. I could do, that could be an afternoon. I could do that. It's very very satisfying. Especially considering a lot of my books come from secondhand. So I get like these old, like, you know, (gasps) they're probably out of print now, Victorian history books that, Actually, I probably need to check because the history might have changed or the research may be different. But I yeah. get them and I'm like, oh, you know, this is yes. great. 1987. I'm keeping this. A hundred percent. Oh, man, I, 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 we could talk a whole load about that on itself. Yeah. We, need, we, we want to talk about you and your book, but we'll, come, oh. we'll talk separately about that because I want to know all about <laughs> your books. Oh, definitely. But the fortunes of Olivia Richmond, bloody love it. Thank you. Truly, really, really, really loving it. I, I have to confess, I've not finished it yet. I'm halfway through it. But I? yeah, I honestly, every time I pick it up and I get into it, I get sucked into it. It's so yeah. engrossing and oh, so I'm atmospheric. So oh my God. No, it's amazing. You've done, I could see why everyone was so excited over at a, a oh, Moonflower. Thank you so much. No. Thank you. It's crazy to hear people reading it now because it's been so... Yes my own baby and, and with my agent and with publishers for quite a while. Now people are reading it and I'm like, it's like a kid going to school where it's like, have you made friends? <laughs> Do you like my baby? Is exactly. my baby good? Yeah. Yes. You have a very good, beautiful, dark, spooky baby. Thank you. Yes. So, <laughs> and this feels like a very basic question to ask, but where did the idea come from? Oh gosh. Um. So th- it, it came as ideas do tend to with me from like lots of different places that all of a sudden kind of coalesced Mm -hmm. into this like moment of, Ooh, and I always get (laughs) ideas. I I explain it as I get ideas like a, like almost like a a movie trailer in my head. So I see this movie trailer where it's all these images and these bits of dialogue and I go, Oh, that. So I have been playing with the idea because, of course, I, I really enjoy Gothic and I really enjoy, you know, these kind of Victorian history tropes and things. And I was doing a bit of research and we were actually working on, we, we teach Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, to our year 11 students. And uh, I was doing some research and there's a lot of stuff about class and a lot of stuff about, you know, what was acceptable, what was not. And one of the things I was looking at, because I went down a rabbit hole, was about <laughs> spiritualism. And the idea that this was like a a pastime for everybody, Mm. but that actually you would get people in the working class who would like set up seances and he would host these things and they would get girls to come in and they would dress them up and be like, oh, an apparition. And, (laughs) you know, it would be this, but it was also this very kind of almost like sexy thing of like, oh, I get to be in the same room as this very scantily clad young woman, but it's okay because she's, she's an apparition. And it it made me think like, you know, the idea of this, you know, very pale young woman in this scenario. And I thought, well, what what if it wasn't working class? And what if it wasn't made up? What mm. what would happen if, if it was real? And if it was in a nice working class family, what do you even do with that? Who who would look after her? How would that work out? So that that was the main idea around it. And then for the world. Again, I talk about the movie trailer. I had this image of a young girl standing at a set of French windows and this big sweep of lawn in front of her with woods. And, and I went, oh, that's it. That's, that's where this, that's where this is meant to be. And this came to me, I'd been playing with it a little bit, but it, it really started to formulate over the first lockdown when so many of us found 
we had a lot of time on our hands and and not that much to do. Yeah. And so I started developing it and kind of playing with it and going, okay, what would this be like? What would we do here? And, you know, and it, it, it's so interesting because I think everybody imagines that the idea comes fully formed immediately. And actually there were things that I wrote, like I think the first 15,000 words of that novel didn't make it into it, but it set everything up and the ideas just kept developing as I went. And that was really lovely. But but that was the beginning. That was the genesis of the of the whole thing. Wow. Oh God, I want to be in your head. I know. That's creepy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Do you know, I'm worried about being in my head at the moment because... <laughs> You know, it, it's so funny because the amount of, well, I say the amount of people like my my publishers have said to me, and actually a friend of mine who does book reviews, I gave her one of my proof copies with permission from my publisher to do it, uh, to have a read. And she has been sending me like WhatsApp pictures of the uh, of the book and going, what is this? <laughs> How dare you terrify me in this way? And I'm sat there going, Oh, I pulled back on that. That could have been a lot. <laughs> oh man, you need like a director's cut of this book. Yeah. This is the thing. So I've sat there going, oh my God, like what if I really have terrified people? But actually it could have been a lot, lot worse. And I could have really, because that was one of the first notes I got. One of the first notes I got was you're pulling your punches, lean into the, into the scary. Wow. Which is fascinating. And it's it so, is. so much fun. It is genuinely very scary. And even just like I was, te- I was actually out today uh, with lovely author Liv L.V. Matthews. Uh, mm. And I was telling her that I was speaking to, you tonight, speaking to you tonight and I told her about your book and I was like, oh, I'm loving it. It's really good. And I was just telling her about it. She was like, oh my God, I've got goosebumps just hearing like the basic <laughs> outline. And I was like, oh, it's so much better. Like get into it. So she's like, yeah, you've, I've sold you a book, I think already. There's Thank a you free so book. much. <laughs> Thank you so much. I I'm very just much out appreciate on the street. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, genuinely, yeah, really, really creepy. And it's kind of relentlessly <laughs> creepy, which is in a great way, not like it is it, too much. It's just like you have a moment of, oh, it's going to be okay for a second. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> but because Olivia is such an interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was very, I, I was very interested in the idea of, of apparently Jane Austen said of, of her character, Emma Woodhouse, mm. I think I've created a heroine no one's going to like very much except me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, let's have some of that. So I wind up, I think everybody it takes their turn at being unlikable and then likable. And, yes. uh, and you know, because that is the nature of, of people. So I, I had it with Olivia that, you know, she she is an indulged teenage girl. And, and so she is going to behave in a very particular, you know, kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to shy away from that. And I didn't want to make her perfect just so that, you know, people yeah. would like her, but there are so many facets to her. And mm. I do think she winds up being quite sympathetic and, yes. you know, uh, you, you kind of get where she's coming from an awful lot more. And I think one of the things that I always really wanted to to make clear with this was that regardless of how she views things or what she's doing, sh- she is very vulnerable. Yes. And, and she is at the behest of the adults around her who are not maybe themselves dealing in good faith all of the time. Mm-hmm. So without giving too much away. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, you know, a really key thing that I wanted to look at, which is the idea of, especially in an area, you know, now with being in, you know, with being a teacher, we're very mm-hmm. clear on the idea that children are those in our care. They're 18 and under, you know, and we say 18 and under because some of our A-level students would be, you know, 18 and we, we would want to make sure we're sure. still giving them a duty of care. Mm-hmm. But how does that translate to an era where actually children were just kind of thought of as little adults and like that were a bit yeah. stupid and hadn't quite got to that point yet? And I think that that is also a very interesting thing. I think when you realize the modernity of history, that that's a magical little moment that I, I love yeah. to kind of see when you look at the historical kind of story and you go, oh, that's like us. And it's like, yes, yes, it is. Uh, that, that always excites me. I really like the idea of considering children just as stupid adults. <laughs> it's it's quite frightening when you look, when you look back at some of the, you know, at, at some of the writing, because we always mm. imagine for some reason, the golden age of, of children's literature around about the late 1800s, early 1900s. It gets conflated with the whole Victorian era when actually it's not. It's, most mm. of it's actually quite Edwardian. And but for quite a long time, the Victorian era had this idea of children of like you know, uh, oh, you know, the, the, they're like little. You know, the word the word actually used quite a lot is savages. Where like you, know, <laughs> you need to like beat them into the point where like they know how to behave. 
and you're there to craft them. But there's no real talk of like care in that way. Um, not, that is not to say that there is a sweeping generalization of all Victorian families were awful who treated their children terribly. That is not the case at all. But it is just very interesting to have a look at the overarching attitude being mm. you must drive this child to a point where they can behave like an adult. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's your aim, really. Uh, it's fascinating. A bit sad, but fascinating. Very yeah. fascinating. The interest in the Victorian era come before you started writing the book and that's why you wrote it. Yeah. 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 The, I can trace... This is actually so fitting. I can trace <laughs> my obsession with both history and the Victorians specifically to the horrible history books oh, and the vile Victorians. Because yeah. I am so old that I was like pre-BBC, like horrible histories on TV. I was like the full, yeah. yeah We're yeah. all old here. It's, it's yeah. great. Love it. Love it. I remember talking about these with my cousin at one point. He was like, oh, I used to love watching that. And I was like, watching? What How dare you? But yeah, I, I remember, I, I loved all of those books, but I remember there was something about the vile Victorians that really locked into me where I was like, oh, what's that about? And yeah. it then became the case that uh, I remember first, so in Northern Ireland, you, you certainly you used to, I, I don't know if it's still the same, but you, instead of opting into the 11 plus, you would opt out of the 11 plus and you all did the 11 plus. So when I passed the 11 plus, my parents brought me to London for, for a weekend and because uh, we were that kind of family. <laughs> and uh, we, we wound up going to the Victoria and Albert Museum. And I got really excited because I thought this was going to be a museum about like Victorian history. Oh. It, it was not, no. unfortunately, but yeah. it did start me off on that thing of, right, I'm now going to find all the museums. Uh, and when I moved to London, that continued. So, but, but that is where I trace the, the interest. It's, it's those books and me kind of going, oh, tell me more about that. How vile <laughs> were they? Tell me everything. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that. that. Yeah. <laughs> Jinx. Have you um, reread Vile Victorians recently? Funny enough, yes. Um, <laughs> didn't ruin the magic? Or... No, it was great. I've actually tried to get my stepson into them because he he likes a bit of history, but he's he, he's a science and maths kid, and I just am oh, yeah. devastated. I'm like, well, you know, this is this is where I have to accept you for who you are. A science and maths kid <laughs> who's telling you you've got too many books. I don't know. Like, I this is that bit... negativity in my life. I quite know. Frankly, if no. I didn't love him so much, like genuinely, yeah, right. I feel like he's like a few steps away from burning you at the stake at this point. I like, keep an eye on him. Witchy ways. Wait until he gets to the point where he's in school and you know secondary school, obviously, because he's not at that sure. stage now. But wait until he's in secondary school and the kids are like, "Is this? Do you know?" This person, he could be like, and uh, to be honest, by then he'd be a teenager and he'd go, no, no, never heard of him. Never heard of him in my life. So wait until I'm useful to him, then we'll see. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, you need help with his English homework. I'm sure you'll be the first person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Absolutely. I'll be like, keep it for the weekends, love. We'll go over it then. I'm sure that's very exciting for you for a Saturday. Yes. (laughs) And speaking of characters, and you said like they go from being kind of unsympathetic, sympathetic in a lot of ways. And Julia, another very interesting character mm. as well because it starts with i mean this isn't a spoiler because it's literally the first page in the book so anybody listening you should read it anyway but it basically starts with a child dying quite yeah. brutally and a woman witnessing it and then you find out a little bit later on that she was in she worked at that house mm. and it oh so you're never quite sure if you can trust her to start with but you also feel incredibly sorry for her because her brother has just screwed her over big time with inheritance, keeping everything for himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you you balance it very well. It's very, um, yeah, the uncertainty and the fact that no sport, I don't want to spoil it too much, but Olivia can see everything. Let's just say <laughs> that. And yeah, oh. I did. I did think what would be who would be the worst person to have to come and and be in close proximity with her and I thought someone with something to hide Um, yes and I was like let's do that what's the worst thing yes let's do that because genuinely I mean obviously without revealing too much of of, you know the extent of what it is you know again we're dealing with in an era where you know just just being sacked without a reference Mm. was enough to put you in in dire straits which is indeed the circumstance that Julia finds herself in and that could be for anything like mm-hmm. 
they used to have a practice where housekeepers would leave money hidden in places. And if you found it, you were meant to go and give it back to her immediately. Like a test. Yes. And if Ah. you didn't find it, you were not like if you left it there, you weren't cleaning thoroughly enough. And if you kept it, put it in your pocket and forgot to give it back to her, you had stolen it. But then also, as a servant, you were actually not really meant to be seen in the main house. You were meant to be like a ghost. So if you decided that you were going to leave the drawing room and walk across the hall and go find the housekeeper and a member of the family is sweeping past with Lady So-and-so and sees you, it's maybe not something you could, you'd get sacked over, but it is something that somebody would go to the housekeeper and say, oh. could you please keep the staff in check? You can't bloody win. No, there was no way of winning. Absolutely not. So actually, this is the thing of, you know, and again, this is a very sweeping generalization of, of life under stairs. I'm sure if an actual Victorian historian listened to this and went, no, you know, yes, they would know better. But, you know, that was very much the case where you were you were kind of almost finding ways of doing the impossible. And I think for Julia, you know, what's very difficult is, is that it does mean that you are very much at the mercy of your employer. And that's true throughout the novel for her, no yes. matter what. Yeah. And and it is really, you know, ruin if, you know, if, if that goes really wrong. And I think that's the worst thing, which is that when her brother does, and again, it's in the first chapter, so this isn't yeah. going to be a, a spoiler for anybody. But when her brother does make the self-interested decision of, you know, oh, well, of course, you will have mother's books and her her little knickknacks. It, it doesn't occur to him that she has nowhere to put them. That no. like she she lives this kind of transient life. You know, his attitude is, well, she's earning money, isn't she? What's the problem? <sighs> and, you know, the, and, yeah. and so again, I think that sets you up for kind of feeling really sympathetic towards Julia because she really is trying to make something happen in a world that is kind of not really predisposed to help her make that happen. No. Yeah. And she's got secrets. Well, exactly, that she has been pulled into and yes. that she is now carrying with her. And, and you know, you haven't read the rest of it yet, but there's more. Ooh. So you've got more stuff to look forward to. Oh, my God, I can't wait. <laughs> um, so you'll you'll see, you know, the, the actual extent to which she has been, in, you know, pulled into this, this terrible event. And I think that that's she she is somebody who at the beginning does. I think everybody in the novel is a bit self-interested yes. in, in some way, shape or form. And there are times when that self-interest seems totally reasonable. And sometimes when that self-interest seems totally unreasonable. Mm. But I think the more you get to see Julia, the more you start to realize, oh, no, you're, yeah, you're, you're playing a game here without all the pieces. And that doesn't really seem very fair. Yeah. At least that's what I'm hoping people yeah well it's about survival isn't it for her she's just trying to survive and yeah Yeah. exist in this world with nothing as you say so and she's genuinely trying to do a good job like she is genuinely trying to do what she's been hired to do yeah yeah except what happens when you realize that that also may be a bit impossible to bring us back to the original point yeah god and that's actually something. So obviously you've done, you've known a lot about the Victorian history and stuff, but the the etiquette stuff. So she's brought in to get Olivia up to speed, ready to make her debut in London as a mm. lady. How what was the research like for that? I bet that was fascinating and horrifying at the same time. Victorian <laughs> etiquette books, wow, were a big one. Um, I also really want to thank the Victorian History YouTube Collective. Ooh, <laughs> what a collective! I love Anybody them. on YouTube who's doing any kind of really good historical stuff um it 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 is very much appreciated (laughs) and i i want to give a big shout out right now to bernadette banner if anybody who i do not know but would love to know (laughs) if anybody is not aware of her content but if you are interested in historical dress and the construction of it and how that's done she is she is absolutely the person to go look look at on youtube so there was a lot of that there was a lot of looking at kind of notices of you know balls and kind of how how that would have worked out and also what I find really really helpful was to look up some of the music that would have been available at that time and listening to that to try and build up the world you know Alan Moore talks about building up the texture of Mm. the world what's the texture so I wind up doing things like I was listening to music I was watching an awful lot of um 
English, I think it's English or British Heritage, the, again, YouTube channel, does <laughs> this brilliant uh, recurring segment with an actress who plays a Victorian housekeeper from Audley End, um, Mrs. Crokin. Mm-hmm. And I watched a lot of that and I got her, I got her book and I kind of went and, and spoke to the, I went to Audley End, I spoke to the people who were working there and was asking them about the food that, the, that would have been served and what have you. So all of that kind of came together. And then that was like, well, what dresses would they have worn? Well, what would the house have looked like? Well, how would they have got there? It all of a sudden comes together where you actually get this image of what is fashionable, what is practical, what is possible. And, and then that, that kind of builds up the, the imagery and kind of the mm-hmm. world building. So that's, that's how that worked. And in terms of the manners, as I said, like, you had the, the Victorian etiquette books, you had all these like little pamphlets <laughs> and uh, society newspapers were very, very funny. Oh God, I bet. <laughs> um, <laughs> just little things that you just didn't even understand. Somebody came with the wrong fan. It was lazy. Oh my God. God and out- Outrageous. But you're reading it and a part of it's like, am I just reading like the the base like what is essentially the national Enquirer the Victorian <laughs> yeah. era am I like reading you know Kendall Jenner goes out in the wrong thing is that the what Daily I'm Mail sidebar of shame yeah, like, yeah. Am, I, am I reading that uh, so you you know there was a little bit of like the amount of research that you could do for a novel is never ending so once you kind of it, it's kind of your choice as the writer to get to a certain point where you're like right. I think I've got the idea. I'm going to stop now. Mm. And if I need to, I'll come back to it. So, because otherwise you could just keep going. And and I yeah. need to kind of remind myself sometimes that I'm not writing a history book. I'm yeah. writing a novel. And so I need to get enough information that the world is appropriate, but I don't need to be going into every single detail, uh, even if it is fascinating. So I did have to cut myself off at a certain point. <laughs> I mean, how long did it take to from start to finish start of researching or conception of idea up to I guess submitting the final draft I think so I remember it took me from uh it would have been Easter time right through to Christmas that was the first first draft Mm -hmm. and then I read it and I went yeah no loads of this doesn't make any sense so (laughs) not, not it doesn't make any sense but it was like you know there were things that I would change like for instance um you know, Ed Byers, the the kind of male lead, yeah. or one of the male leads, you know, he had a completely different job before, oh. you know, in the first one. So I went and changed that. And what was his job out of interest? Uh, he was originally a police officer. Okay. And then the more I looked at it, the more I went, yeah, in terms of class structure, that would not work. So I had to go mm. and, and change that. So I went and I changed a couple of things and I, I did that. And I remember emailing Kate, my absolutely wonderful agent, going, Kate, this is done. But I'm not going to show it to you. I'm going to change it. And then I will send it. And, and of course, Kate's like, yeah, it's Christmas. Like, please. I <laughs> Philly boots. Yeah, do, do what you've got to do. Not, you know, not a problem. And I was like, absolutely correct. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and, and actually, yeah, genuine little shout out to Kate because she is incredible. Aww. And I really, really appreciate her and all that she does. But I, I went away and I got this done. And that was like, that was, that was very fast. I think that mm-hmm. was done by February. Wow. Uh, the next one because I it was all there and I knew what I was doing yeah. with it so I just went and changed it and then it went to my lovely agents and they gave me feedback and so all in all it, I think it took the about 18 months it, but mm-hmm. that was you know uh, at that point then I think it got to the point where Kate was like right or 18 months to two years and at that point Kate was like right we're ready to send it out now <gasps> yeah amazing so it which it doesn't feel like any time at all well, I was really going to funny. say that's incredible considering the sheer amount of research you clearly did yeah. as well. <laughs> do you know what? A part of it is, is I just do it for fun. Some of the yeah. research. So some of it I already had. I think if I had been starting from completely scratch where I was mm-hmm. like, I am going to write a novel set in the Victorian era and I don't know anything about the Victorian era, that would have been trickier. But actually, you know, I, I read a lot of historical fiction. I, I watched a lot of history things and I read a lot of history things just out of my own curiosity. So I actually was quite lucky in that I was starting with a really good kind of baseline. And that that was quite nice. My next project is mm-hmm. set in Victorian Ireland. And that is, oh, proving quite a, that is proving quite a tricky second child. <laughs> that is taking me significantly longer. 
And a part of it, I think, is very genuinely that there there are most likely Victorian books written set in Ireland, but mm. I don't know how many of them are going to be by Irish people. Mm. And if if they are, it, it may very well be that a lot of them are Anglo-Irish people. So and the authenticity is potentially yeah, an issue. There's a very different right. idea there. Uh, whereas I'm looking at like rural working class Ireland and actually there there have been a couple of books set there um, over the last couple of years. So for instance, M.O. Donahue's um, The Wonder and, and that kind of thing, but not, yeah. not as many. So I think it's very easy when you're writing about, for me, it's very easy when I'm writing about Victorian England because yeah. I've, I've watched loads of costume dramas. I've read loads <laughs> of books. I There is a world that is that already exists in my head. Whereas strangely, even though I am Irish, <laughs> trying to imagine uh, Victorian Ireland, you kind of almost have to take the colonial lens off it and go, yeah. right, no, no, no. What what does this actually look like? And I think that's what's partly what, what sort of that is. The world needs to be there for me in order for me to to really get into it. It's going now. It's it's good. Mm-hmm. I've got the I have got the run of it now. But for a while it was it was proving quite tricky because I couldn't envision that world quite as clearly. That's really nice. funny because in my family, my my mum's Irish, her side of the family are one of my aunts has a whole load of stories that were written by my grandmother's grandfather oh. in rural Ireland. <gasps> uh, but the form of language is so old, we've never been able to get them translated because it just doesn't exist anymore. So, oh, that's fascinating. Is it is it English again? or is it Gaelic? It's Gaelic. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah, that'll do. Or, it. But obviously not the modern. No, that we know. Um, well, and and wow. that's it. There'll be different. There'll be completely different um, pronunciations of it based on where you're from. So there'll be like yeah. there'll be like Donegal Gwega, and there'll be like Munster Gwega, and there'll be Dublin Gwega. So you wind up kind of you know you even see now there there's footage of oh that that male actor who's now in the movie with Foe with Saoirse Ronan and he was in oh uh, Paul Mescal love him thank you Oof. he's being interviewed by by somebody at an award show and they're interviewing him in, in Gaelic and Gwilga and he doesn't understand because the Gwilga they speak part. is not the Gwilga he speaks yeah. so I suppose it's a bit like somebody with a very very thick like <laughs> I don't know maybe Geordie accent coming up to you and wanting to know when you're going what <laughs> Yeah. It's all English, but it sounds very yeah. different. Um, but oh, that's fascinating. Just yeah. I wish I spoke it more. I, I don't really speak it at all. I can I can be polite in it, and that's yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the important stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was also going to ask, but you've already answered the question: Is there a next book in the works, and is it set in the Victorian time? Do you think that's your niche, like your that's the period that you want to keep creating in? Yeah, I think so. And all my ideas are there, and I think yeah. that. That's lovely because, for one thing, I I find it such a an interesting, fascinating era. Like anytime yeah. I go researching something, it will inevitably bring me back to the Victorian era, and it will be like, "This is where it started," and I'll be like, "Oh, yeah. of course, <laughs> of course, it did." <laughs> and I just find that wonderful uh, because it it does really capture my imagination as the birth of the modern era, and I love that. And I also think it's such a useful time period for making things scary. Yes. yes. So it feels just modern enough to not feel so far away from us. But it also means that like you don't have to deal with the issue of like mobile phones and the internet and, and yeah. all that kind of thing. And also what's lovely about it is you could do that by setting your work in the 1980s rather than the 1880s. But there, there will be people who remember that very, very well. So you've got to be so clear yes. on your research. Whereas I, I'm not saying I would play it fast and loose, but you can play it a bit fast and loose yeah. because who remembers 1880? And I often say that, you know, the the world I write about doesn't exist. Like the England I write about, the, the Ireland I write about in the Victorian era, it doesn't actually exist because it is a product of my imagination. And I think that's a very that's a very useful thing to be thinking about when you're writing historical fiction. That's to stop you getting like I was too hung up on, oh, the world has to be entirely right. Because because it it's partly your imagination. Mm. And you and that's okay. Like in my mind, mm. that's okay. Now yeah. there might be readers who disagree, but that's that's fine. 
Well, they That's can go read problem. a history textbook if they want to do that. That's the thing. Yeah. We had um, we had Graham Bartlett on recently, who uh, he used to be a superintendent of police for Brighton and Hove. And he's a crime writer now. And he writes a lot about police procedures. But he, and he says the same, you know, he's comes from a police procedural background, but he's like, no one wants to read police procedural every mm. little detail because it would be boring and inaccessible. So you have yeah. to, you have to spice it up a little bit and make it. Oh, completely. Yeah. The beauty of your book is it's very accessible. I think if anyone thinks, oh God, is this going to be like a, a historical fiction, like very heavy yeah. thing? It's it's very beautiful and easy to read. It's not like, a, oh God, the weight of the, like the language is accessible and clear to understand and everything. It's not like picking up Shakespeare and be like, oh, yeah. I can understand it. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to have to battle with Jane Austen levels. No, exactly. Absolutely. So we talked a bit about your writing process, but I'm curious to know, what do you enjoy most and least about it? So what I enjoy most about it is the writing itself. And what I enjoy least about it is the writing itself. (laughs) (laughs) Because, so there's writing and then there's writing, which is there is something and, and... you know, I'm sure other writers have said the same or will say the same. When when you're in that zone and and just it's flowing and you're like, yes, and this looks to this and oh, that's a great bit of dialogue. And, oh, you know, and you're feeling it. Oh, there's nothing like it. It's great. It's it's just such a wonderful thing. And and that moment, like I I also love because I I view it as if you're thinking about the work, you're writing. Like if you're sat in the bath and you're kind of going, what about that thing and that one? Oh, no, no. You're writing. Like that's that's how it works. And that moment where you suddenly go, oh, this could, oh, I have to go. I have to go write it down. That that's a magic moment. I love that. But what's also hateful is that knowledge of you sitting in front of whatever your writing apparatus is, and and you know that you don't have to write. You, you could just not, like nobody's there <laughs> banging down the door. Like you are doing this to yourself, but you know that you cannot not do it, but, and you don't want to. It's like going to the gym. You know nobody's <laughs> going to make you go to the gym. You could just not go, but, but you know that it's good for you. And you know that, that you actually do really want to do it. It's just really difficult. <laughs> so, so that, that I find really, really tricky and it's a brilliant discipline. I do think, though, that it it does require a degree of kindness because there are some people who can write every day and I'm like, well done. Amazing. <laughs> I am not one of those people uh, for a variety of different reasons. So, for instance, for me, having been sick the last couple of days, I've not been in school. I've got a whole load of marking to do. That's going to be my week next week to meet that deadline. I, I am not going to put the extra pressure on myself to be like, no. and you also need to be cranking out. If I manage to write a paragraph a day, great, not a problem, but I'm, I'm not going to push it. And I think that that, that is what keeps it as a joy. A long time ago, my mum my said to me, a um, very wise woman said to me, look, darling, this is either your job and you're doing it every day in any way you can, regardless of whether you feel it or you like it or, or whatever, or it's your art and it's your joy and, and you are going to do it when you feel like it and, and you need to have something else. And actually what's wonderful is that now it kind of feels like a mixture of both where it is able to be my joy. And when it's going really, really well, I'm like, yes, this is the best thing. I love this. This is the best thing I could do with my time. And and when it's feeling a bit harder and not going as well, I still have that work ethic of no, no, but but we want this. <laughs> so sit down, pick up the pen, let's go. Yeah. And it, it's a lovely kind of little, little symbiosis there. Yeah. I mean, you've got a lot on your plate. Teaching, just teaching. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah. 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 The kids are all busy about the book, though, which is great. They are so excited. It's really, really nice. They keep coming up and asking me things about it. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I thought, you know, teenagers, London teenagers at that, I thought they were just going to be like, oh, God, miss, that's a bit sad. (laughs) It's so embarrassing. (laughs) And you're not going to find something else to do. But they're all they're all about it, and it's just Aww. so funny. They've they've gone and they've googled me, and they find like my picture on the website, and everything, and they're like, "You know, we're such a like, It's so sweet. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate their their support in that. That's very very <laughs> nice. That's quite cute. But yeah, the the teaching is. Do you know what? Actually, I view it in this way, which is I I have this real thread running through me of the idea that stories are important mm-hmm. and and I feel like as we move further in in a world where 
everything, understandably, but uh, there's a lot of emphasis put on to STEM. And now with the rise Mm -hmm. of AI and the idea of like, you don't need to write a book, you can just type something in and it'll generate for you. Uh, And I'll not get started on that. Yeah. But, you know, it just, I, I, when I teach A-level, I I do say to them, I was like, guys, I I genuinely believe that the study of stories makes you a better person. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that not studying them doesn't make you a good person. I'm not saying that. But like, you don't know what it is to live as a, you know, as a person and as a woman in the 1800s, but you can read a book and you can feel those emotions and you can become that person. You don't know what it's like to be somebody who works on an oil rig now and has patchy cell service and money worries, but you can read a book about it and you experience the world in in so many different ways. So what I am very, very grateful for is the fact that actually through the teaching, through the writing, through everything I've done, I've actually been in the very, very privileged position where no matter what I've done since I've left university, I've been able to do something with stories. Now, I may not have been paid for it every time, but <laughs> I've, I've managed to do something to do with stories throughout my career. And, and the teaching is definitely part of that. And I, I mm. feel incredibly grateful to, to have had that privilege. That's such a lovely way to think about it, that you can learn about other people's lives and put yourself in their shoes just by reading a story. Yeah, and learn about yourself because then yeah. you kind of think, well, how do I feel about that? And what has it brought up? Like we, we teach Waiting for Godot to our year 12s. And the first question I start them off with, like first day of A-level is what makes life worth living? Mm. Oh, wow. And I'm like, right. Going straight in there. Yeah, you tell me what makes life worth living. And, you know, it's really, it's really interesting because inevitably the answers they give at the beginning of the course, I will bring us back to it at the end, I'll say, right, what makes life worth living? Even halfway through, their answers start to change and they start to kind of, and I think that's, that's really interesting. And it's quite confronting because, you know, you've got Beckett who will say, well, academia is unimportant and religion doesn't really mean anything. And all these things don't mean anything. And for some of the students that, that actually is very contradictory to, to their belief and to kind of how they view things. And I'm like, look, if, if, exploring this strengthens that thought within you that's wonderful you know because it means it's robust and it holds up to the scrutiny that's what we're you know it's not exactly what we're here to do but if it happens while we're here fantastic yeah you're a good teacher that's lovely (laughs) yeah i try it's it's hard going at times but i try (laughs) yeah i'd imagine Uh, mm, not for me but well done (laughs) teenagers are great man terrible and great in equal measure (laughs) And I'm curious with all of the, obviously with the writing and the research and everything, you do a lot of reading, I mm. imagine also. Uh, do you get to read time to read for pleasure much? Uh, do you know, over the last couple of days, I managed to finish two books uh, because I'm not well. But that's, <laughs> so when I read, I do read very quickly. When I write, I write very fast. And when I read, I read very quickly. So today I finished, I reread because it was a bit of a comfort read, Andrew Taylor's The American Boy. So I was rereading that. He's a fabulous historical novelist and he's a great one for a world with texture. So I really, really appreciate and enjoy his work. And I sat down and I wrote, because I'm writing on an A4 notepad at the minute, because I find that's a lot more helpful than the typing. And I think I did about 10 pages front and back of that today. So that, and that was in like two hours. So I do find that when I get started, I do go quite quickly. So I do, I do get a bit of time to read because I make a lot of that that time we've got. I've recently read the collection of short stories, The Dangers of Smoking in Bed. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I find that very, very confronting for me as a writer because <laughs> uh, I realized that I that there is such a wonderful gothic quality of discomfort in these books or in these stories. And and it made me read, like, like to the point where a, point, a part of me is a bit like, oh, it's a bit much, but okay. It's always good to read something that feels a bit too much sometimes. And yeah. it made me think, I am too much of a people pleaser to ever make anybody that uncomfortable. <laughs> so I respect this uh, from the writer viewpoint, because I don't think I could ever do that myself. Yeah. Uh, that that was really fascinating. I do a lot of audiobooks, though. That's also really helpful. I do a lot of that. Yeah. Love an audiobook. Audible's a great thing. Absolutely oh. love it. I do a lot of that. I do a lot of podcasts. I'm also a really big fan of there is a uh, a group, I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but uh, there's a channel called Critical Role on mm. YouTube. It's um, voice actors in America playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh. And it's 
amazing and I've just now gone back and I've started campaign two again because there's like I, I don't even want to know there's like two years worth of worth wow. of content on there four hour <laughs> sessions each time and and it's just really again quite comforting and nice and it just feels like you're in the world of story and that's that's lovely as well yeah so I enjoy it this is wildly off topic, but I'm really excited because um, I don't know if Frankie, you were into it. Louise, if you're ever a Buffy fan, there's yes. just oh, been. Yes. Have you seen the new one? Yes. Audible? It's out I this week. about that. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah. Got, got it downloaded, that. ready to go. Did think to myself, should I go back and rewatch this, or is it going to be like Gilmore Girls, where I go back and rewatch it and realise everyone's awful? It is a bit like mm-hmm. that. Like oh, I, no. I used, I, cause I've done a few rewatches of Buffy, like periodically. I'm like, I need to go back into it. And then Xander is a dick. Like truly, like, oh, I used to no, love no. Xander when I was young. Like I used to think he was like the best, and I really fancied him. And I watched it back. I'm like, he is a dick. Like he's such oh, a no. misogynistic asshole. Truly, oh, no. Giles is perfect. Giles can stay. We love Giles. Fair, fair. <laughs> I, I just spike hold up on because oh, uh, that yeah. was an awakening. Can I just yes. tell you, like Spike yes. was a full on awakening. There yeah. is that bit. There is that awful thing though when he like tries to rape Buffy. In the yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Somehow I completely missed that when I was a kid. Like I, people were talking about it at one point. I was like, I'm sorry, what? The what now? <laughs> he did I what? I do not understand what you mean. Like, no, not so I don't, don't know if I, yes, he's a blood sucking vampire and he'll hit you as soon as look at you. But he draws no. the line at rape. Exactly. Come on. He's not a monster. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, he was missing a soul. So we'll, mm, it's not, mm-hmm. I'm not excusing rape. Uh, but yeah yeah. he had a medical condition (laughs) he had no blood how could he even get hard anyway that's a different conversation um but it's uh yeah but the whole like oh it's so awful when everything you love as a child you find out um that like all the people involved are awful like joss whedon's a monster now also, I heard that James Masters, the actor that played Spike, used to write the actress that played Dawn very creepy poems and songs about like your your like. But she was like fourteen, and he's writing out creepy stuff. I don't know. It's best not to look into any of these things. Like, don't read around things. I'm convinced this is why men have all the pockets in their clothes. It's to carry the audacity around, (laughs) and we don't need the pockets. So true. We don't have the audacity. You're so true. So right. Oh God. Like, uh, just yeah. Yeah. Just assume that everyone's um a monster and um everything you love is awful <laughs> from your youth. And it's safer. Yes. Oh god. A downer. Thank you, Frankie. <laughs> well let, let's keep it on a down note, shall I? Because I have some terrible news to deliver to you now, unfortunately, Louise. Oh no. <laughs> it's a bit of a bit of a confrontation we have to have, I'm afraid. Um, because mm. you have committed a terrible crime, Louise. Oh, probably. Yeah, so terrible, so awful, so heinous in nature that, unfortunately, you were caught for a start, unfortunate, uh, and you have been sentenced to death. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> I'm sorry. What, first of all, do you think you've done? What's your crime? Confess. Oh, no. What can I say that's not going to get me in trouble? Further trouble. I mean, I'm already sentenced to death. I mean, I could say. Exactly. I, I could say anything. If it makes you feel better, we've had people straight up say they'd murder people on this podcast. Oh, wow. Unashamedly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Some people have named specific people. Yeah, they've been specific about people mm. in their lives. <laughs> yeah, and they've not been arrested as far as we know, like I off mean, the back of it. Make, that must make an awkward Christmas dinner. <laughs> i guess it depends on who you're planning to kill oh my gosh um do you know i'm gonna have to think of something really good here because otherwise mm. i don't want to be that boring person who's like oh it was for being too nice um, <laughs> partly because everybody in my family and all my friends will look at me and go no that wasn't it <laughs> i i very genuinely feel like if if i was smart enough i would do something to to steal the mi- the billions actually the billions nice mega rich and redistribute it as i saw as i saw oh. fit, thereby completely undermining the entire structure of america and of course i would then have to die because of the ensuring ensuing fallout yes of you course. know but robin hood like like Robin Hood in the Disney classic. I will, I will slip out the night before my execution. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you're out there sucking up diamonds with your mouth. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, that that's pretty, <laughs> pretty worthy. Very noble 
reason to have commit, committed crime. And we all commend you for it. And, you know, you are the people's princess and yeah. we're all behind you. But unfortunately, uh, as you say, the, it, the powers that be could not let this stand. So unfortunately, yeah. sentenced to death. But the one good thing is that we will give to you the death row meal of your dreams. So it's not all bad. Uh, what would your death row meal be? So, oh, okay. So I think what, what there would have to be is a, a very large starter of moule marinière. Oh, with, yes. With fresh baked French bread and proper oh. French salted butter. Oh, yeah. Uh, the type with the crystals in it. Like yes, it's going to be crunchy. Yeah. I, wanna, mm. I want that. So, so that's got to happen. And then I would say that I would probably follow that up with a really good steak, oh, medium yes. rare, Caesar salad on the side. And oh, do you know what? Probably I would, I would say like steak, steak cut chips rather than fries. Sometimes I find oh, yeah. fries a bit. Chunk, chunky, thick. I want, yeah, I want something like that. So, so something, yeah, going with that. And then for now, for dessert, uh-huh. I probably wouldn't even have anything sweet. I'd be like, bring me a cheese board. Bring me a really oh, yes. good, like, I essentially want to leave this meal with goat. Yeah. If, if you haven't, you failed. Yeah. Exactly. Like, genuinely, <laughs> like, you know, I want a French chef who doesn't care if I live or die. Yeah. Like, just, yep. it's all butter and salt. Like, give me that. Because oh. I just feel if you're on death row, what, why not? Just why not? Yes. Like if we can, if they can make foie gras from your liver by the end, then success. Pretty much, like genuinely, I feel like it's it should be Mediterranean diet if you want to live. Probably really indulgent French diet when you know you're going to die. Like that should be. That's very Marie Antoinette of you. I'm impressed. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I don't want to malign the French diet because actually the French no. diet is is quite healthy. But but if you're going to go for pure indulgence, so oh yeah, I'll I'll mm. go for that. That's the <sighs> that is a brilliant yes. menu. I have to say that's delicious. Yeah. We haven't had moule before. I, that is no, good shout. Oh my gosh, I just it, it, do you know what? Because there's always that roulette as well. Mm. Not to bring this to a terrible place, but you <laughs> see it on a menu and it's like. I've never had it here before, but it's on the menu and it's not always on the menu places. I, I am running the risk that this will be the day that I get a bad muscle. But I <laughs> yeah. will take yes. that risk, my friend. I will. Worth yeah. the risk. Cancel yeah. your evening plans and hope for the best. <laughs> exactly. Like, touch wood, it has not happened yet. But yeah, Moon Marinier has got to be one of the most wonderful <sighs> things on this planet. Very oh, damn it. You're so right. When it's done well, game oh, changer. Yeah. So, so good. Oh. So good. Wow. Wow. Great menu. Okay. Good choice. Oh, I mean, uh, fantastic meal. Anything to drink with it? Oh, yeah. That's a thought. I am probably going to go with, uh, if, if I'm allowed anything, I'm going to go with sure. specific wine pairings. So yes. I I will start off with Prosecco and, and olives. I will demand that. And yeah. then I I will have probably a pickle de Pinay, a white pickle de Pinay. Obviously, pickle mm-hmm. de Pinay is white, but uh pickled pinay for the moo and then probably do you know what this sounded a little bit sad i should probably just throw out the name of a wine or like a type of wine but actually like any of the 19 crimes reds would be great yeah. if you haven't if you haven't tried them in your wine drink very apt for death row i have to so, say absolutely. Yes. <laughs> like go go drink them they're really good yeah they actually do a chocolate or not a chocolate a coffee one. Oh wow one that's done that's actually Really, really good with desserts. I don't know how it would go with cheese, but it's it's really, really good. So yeah, the the wine pairings would be a whole whole thing. That that would be a thing I would go for definitely. Or if they were like, no, love, sorry, you've got a ten point minimum and that maximum, and that's it. Budget cuts. <laughs> yeah, sorry. A proper chippy from Northern Ireland with Diet Coke. Yes. Okay. Because we'll the chippies we'll here are not the same. Yeah, yeah. See, I would do it, and I would do it too. Like it would be. <laughs> It would be an effort, but I would do it. But you're up to the challenge. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, good and bad news. Bad news. You're dead. I'm sorry. Uh, but it sounds like you went out in style. So that's what matters. Sarah is always so warm with her delivery of that piece of news. Like it's just the empathy radiates off of her. It's hey, I'm, just... I'm dead. I'm not going to feel any better about it. True. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And you had an amazing meal. So really exactly. what you want. But in good news, you are going to be buried with the book of your choice. What book are you taking with you? Uh, I am going to take Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. I've got that on my shelf. Have you read it? I have. Oh my gosh. Have you scanned it? 
So oh, I haven't yet. I read it a long time ago, though. So my knowledge is not the best, but I remember loving it. Oh, see, the, so it was it was a choice between that and The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. <sighs> and, and, and to be honest, there was a whole range of books that I, I would have chosen. <laughs> and I actually had to tell myself, you, you cannot claim the Terry Pratchett Discworld series as one book. You cannot do that. <laughs> that is not allowed. So you must it's choose. Not. But I, I reread. There's a couple of books that I reread every year. And I I reread Geek Love by Catherine Dunn every year, or depending on how devastating it's been since the last time I've read it every two years. <laughs> because it's just, again, it's the sort of book that's just so confronting mm. as both a reader and a writer, because it is so grotesque and beautiful in mm. equal measure. It's the kind of book you need to be a wee bit careful who you suggest it to. Yes. <laughs> right, they're going to come back and go, what in God's name did you have me read? Or they're going to come back and go, that that was the most incredible thing that I've ever put my eyeballs on. And yeah. you're going to be like, I know, right? Let's sit and talk about it. <laughs> the friendship test, the ultimate friendship oh, test. Absolutely. Yeah. Where it's just like, right, will they enjoy geek love? And, and then we can talk. <laughs> So and it's yeah, it's one of those books where you you know that when you when you lend it to people, they're going to be like, this is a little bit weird. The premise is essentially it is um, narrated by the protagonist uh, Olympia or Ollie and her parents. Uh, they own a traveling carnival, the Fabulon, and the they decided very early on they're called the Benuskis, and they decided very early on that they wanted their children to be able to uh, make their own way in the world, and make their own money. So essentially through various ways they have managed to ensure that their children are born with certain deformities so there are the Siamese twins there's Arturo the older boy who's got fins uh, and he's aqua boy and, and they've made them mm-hmm. into sideshow kind of attractions and Ollie when she's born she's she's considered quite normal you know she's not really that that exciting so they they have her as a shill and she calls people in and she gets people into the show and and you see everything through her eyes and I think even just explaining the premise, there would be a lot of people who would be like, oh my God. But it's this fascinating portrayal of otherness and of kind of segregation and separation of the rise of megalomania and appearance and, and what all that means in America and, and wider in, in mm-hmm. Western society. And it's at times disturbing and, and then at times incredibly heartfelt and, and it's you know all mm. these different things and it's just the most stunning piece of writing you can see why it took I think it took Catherine done 10 years to write wow and it's a thick book so I get yeah. that too yeah yeah she's, she's thick yeah like yeah, yeah. She, she's she's a big girl so it's it's great <laughs> Because you get, because then you get loads of bang for your buck. Because then I'm very, very yes. value for money. And yep. lots, <laughs> and every time I read it, I find something different in it that strikes me. Mm. And in a way, it makes me think an awful lot of like Barbara Kingsolver. But Barbara Kingsolver does like social realism. This is more you're kind of like if Barbara Kingsolver and Angela Carter decided they were <laughs> going to write something together. That's that's what Geek this would be. It's incredible. Mm. Ah, oh, great choice. We've not had that before. So I love nice. that. Oh, delighted. Louise, it's been a bloody pleasure. Honestly. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry if I spoke too much. That is kind of my no. issue. But then I suppose I am here no. to talk. That's the exactly. whole point. Yeah. That was yeah. your one job this evening. So oh, I will do it whether you want me to or not. Well, we want you to very much. Uh, and the book is out on the 26th of October. Is that correct? It is. Now, I'm aware that on Amazon, there's been a, a couple of pushbacks. Yeah, it's so November. Delivery- yeah, deliveries are still happening. The books are all like there, I believe. It's all sorted. I, I don't know what, but but it is coming and it is it is happening. Please buy the book. Please enjoy the book if you've, if you've bought it. Uh, although I place you under no obligation. So long <laughs> as you're talking though. about it. I place them under obligation. Everyone should go buy this book because it is yes. fantastic, especially for this spooky time of year. Oh yes. my god! Yes. And I Perfection. want to hear: is it actually as frightening as everybody's telling me, or you know, I'm loving it? Is my friend a wuss? Sarah gets. Sarah <laughs> sounded scary. Sarah yeah, no, scares. I, yeah, I find it found it terrifying that I am Good. a massive wuss. So totally fine. To be honest, I actually I admit <laughs> I said to my friend, "Oh, it's it's kind of cozy horror." I know. <laughs> Twitter, that's not really and she wrote she 
sent me a picture of, of a page and wrote back, cozy horror. I, yeah. I you mislead me. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm cozy for, for cool people. No, I mean, yeah, yeah I okay. just went, oh, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> right, where can people follow you online as well? So you can follow me on, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm a bit more um, active on Instagram. It's the same handle. It's Louise D. Writer. Please do come and have a look. I'm trying to shake off that teacher thing of you're not allowed to have social media. So I'm trying to have <laughs> yeah. more social media. Uh, so please do come and have a look there on my Instagram. I do things like uh, I do flash fiction. I talk about books I'm reading. I do uh, little picture updates of what I'm writing and what I'm working on. Yeah. It'd be great to see you there. Thank you very much. I love to follow you. You are fantastic to follow. I highly recommend it. Oh, thank it. you so much. We'll wait, wait until I get one of those things from Amazon and then... <sighs> We'll have a whole series going. It'll be great. Oh my God. This is, we can be the uh, book cataloging collective on YouTube. We can start. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, if you're not here cataloging your books on a Saturday night, then I'm sorry. What went wrong? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Who did your parents raise? Absolutely. Exactly. Good Lord. About savages. Jesus. <laughs> wow. Well, Sarah, where can people follow us online? Uh, you can find us on all the social medias at Red and Buried Podcast, or you can email us at redandburiedpodcast at gmail.com. She's very good. She's done this before. Love it. So sick. Love oh, it. Yeah. It's really taken me like, what, a year and a <laughs> Two half? Two years. To it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're about. Yeah. But thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back very soon with another episode. We've, we are jam-packed this year, which is fantastic. But yeah. yeah. So come back soon and uh, have a... I don't... Now, Louise, we never know how to end these podcasts. What's a good Victorian way to end something or say goodbye? Is there a, oh, what's the etiquette around Robert. that? Oh, now you put me on the spot. Shall we just bid them good evening or something? I think, I think wonderful, a, a wonderful way to do this. I said good day because oh. obviously the very like, sir, you are far too forward. I will bid you good day. I said good day. I, I love, love that. If Fantastic. I can get that in somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I say good day to you, listener. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and this is Chucky Vision on the We Made This Network, the podcast for all things Chucky. I'm Dev Elson. And I'm Mark Adams. We're two queer podcasters who love bloody horror, camp comedy, gay romance, and referencing icons like Freddy, Jason, and Britney. The Chucky films and new TV show deliver all of that, and there is still so much more to cover. So if you want to play... Find Chucky Vision on Twitter at Chucky Vision and on all good podcast providers. And yes, the title is a Chuckle Vision pun. Because why not? <laughs>